Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Good morning, Bible Center Church family, those that are watching on TV and online. My name is Josh Willits. I'm the middle school pastor here at Bible Center Church. And if you don't know me, I wanted to share just a little bit about myself and my family. So I've got a picture of my family here. This is my wife, Kate. Uh, she works at the school, and she loves being a part of it there. And then we have Karis as nine, Judah is seven, Hudson is four, and Asher is two. So that is my family. We love being a part of what is happening here at Bible Center Church, and uh, we are just thankful to, to be a part of it. Now, this morning, I would like to do three things. One, first, I would like to share a little bit of my heart. I'm the middle school pastor, so I want to share a little bit of my heart when it comes to family ministry. Secondly, I also want to share, maybe challenge you, how can you get involved? And what, what ways can you um, partner with our families and be a part of what's going on here? And finally, I'm the middle school guy, so I really don't want to say anything viral. I'd rather not have Pastor Matt come back and say, wait, Josh said what? And I don't want to give John King any material um, for our staff meetings that he's going to pick on me from now until kingdom comes. So those are my um, goals for this morning. Let's jump into this. As the middle school pastor, I love being around students. I love connecting with them. I love to do different things with them. One, because I, I enjoy being with them, but also I want to encourage them and get to know them better so that I can point them to Christ. So one of the ways that I love connecting with students is I'm the coach of our Bible Center Middle School soccer team. And as the coach, I know that there are two types of players on the field. We have the first type of player that it doesn't matter what is going on, they are all in. The moment the ref blows that whistle to the moment there are zeros on the clock, they are all in all the time. This is even the type of player that maybe you need to take out of the game because it's like, hey, this is just a game, relax. You missed the shot, it's okay, we'll get the next one. So that's the first type of player. The next type of player that we have, they're kind of more in it just for the relationship aspect. This type of player, it doesn't really matter if you win or if you lose, they're just happy to wear the uniform and get to hang out with their friends. This is the type of player that when it comes to when you're scheming together at halftime, you're trying to come up with how can you take advantage of the other people's weaknesses so you can beat your opponent. They, in the middle of that scheming session, they say, hey, hey coach, where, where are we going to eat after the game? In that moment, as a coach, I don't want to talk about eating. I want to win the game. But this type of player, they just want to hang out. They want to have fun. They're just there for the relationships. Now, I share this because when I played soccer, I was also both types of players. I see this coaching, but I was also both types of players. I started out kind of as more the relationship guy, just wanting to hang out, and ended up more kind of going all in. When I first started playing soccer, the first time that I got to do that was kind of magnet soccer, we like to call it. What this is, is wherever the ball is on the field, there's just a horde of kids around it. So you have this huddle going all over the field. It doesn't really matter about positions. There's not a whole lot of that. It's just more the ball is here and everyone comes around it. They magnetized to the ball. Well, I was one as we started out that wasn't overly aggressive. I'm a peacekeeper type, so I'm one that I don't want to steal the ball. It kind of feels mean to me at first. So when I first started playing, you see we've got the huddle of kids around the ball, and then you have me kind of like skipping and dancing on the outside because I didn't really know what I was supposed to do. 
My poor parents trying to watch this game. One, they're watching Magnet Ball, and then their kid's the one not even in the horde. They're, he's the one skipping on the outside. So you can imagine how difficult it was for them to watch. Well, in this one game, I went to kick the ball, and as I kicked the ball and planted, somehow my shoe came off. And as my shoe came off, someone came over and stepped on my shoe as they were kicking after the ball too. They stepped on my foot. In that moment, it's like a switch went off in my brain. And I was in it to win it from that moment on. I kind of got angry, but I also saw the urgency. When I have the soccer ball, I can go take it and try to score on the other team. When I have the soccer ball, I can run away from the team. I can do so much more instead of just being passive and waiting for others to do stuff. I can be the one taking action. I saw the urgency there. Now, I share this story because I want our church to be a church of people that want to go all in. They see the urgency of going after it. They're not sitting back waiting for someone else to do the job. No, they want to go in and they are going after it every moment of the game. And I see also, this is what we're going to talk about this morning. I see this in our passage in Deuteronomy 6. As we have this urgent command given to us from Moses. Moses says, is coming to a very important part in Israel's history. As when we see all the way back in Genesis, these promises are given to Abraham. These promises that they'll become a great nation. They'll have this promised land. And also that Jesus Christ is coming from his family. All of those promises are given to him, and then hundreds of years later, we see Moses coming on the scene. You see, from the time of Abraham over to Moses, the people had left their promised home, and they were now in Egypt. And Moses is taking them out of Egypt back home. During this 400-year time, they also grew into a massive nation. So we see Israel, God's fulfilling the promise that there'll be a nation, and he's fulfilling the promise of going back. So they're getting ready to go back home. And here he is right before they go back home into this promised land. He says, I have this urgent message for you. I want you to own your faith and I want you to share your love of God with others. This is what we need to do. And I see this urgent message is also good for us today. I mean, we live in a crazy time within the last year and a half. Our culture today, if it's something true for me and something is true for you, it can be different, but somehow it's still true. We live in a time where our culture, it doesn't matter how God created marriage or how God designed genders. If it's good for you and right for you, that's okay. That's the culture we live in today. We live in a culture today where anxiety and depression is just kind of running rampant and we've spent the last year and a half isolated from one another. Our churches here in America have spent so much time talking about mask or no mask, vaccine or no vaccine. Should we go online or should we meet in person? All of these questions, and they're important questions, but when we spend so much time on that, I feel like we're missing the urgent calling. And so we are, this passage is also important for us as well, that we need to go all in. So let's look at what it says here in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6 one through six. These are the, com the commands, decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land you are crossing, the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live, by keeping his decrees and commands that I, may that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God promised you. 
Hear all is with the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. We see an important command that is given here and it's kind of a two-part command that we see that Moses is giving this important thing for them and they are supposed to, what? First, they're to own their relationship with God. They're called to own their relationship with God. You see here as he says, love God with everything. These commands are to be upon your heart. Obey these commands. What does that mean? Own it. I want you to take advantage of this and own your relationship with God. So that is the first part of it. And like I said, this is a two-part command. It's part owning it, and we're going to see what the next part is here in just a moment. What do we mean by owning it? What does that, what does that actually mean? Well, when we own something, it's a little bit different than just renting something. There's a different level of commitment. When we own something, we are all in. I think about the time when I was in seminary and we rented several different apartments and houses. And we rented some nice places during that time. But even as we rented them, as nice as they were, I didn't really care like, to really change anything. I didn't want curtains. I didn't want to paint anything. Why? Because this isn't mine. This is just a time period. It's just, just passing through. I wasn't committed to it. Now, my wife was one. She really wanted to change some curtains. We need to make this house a home. So we had some curtains at different times. But I've, I've got one house that we had that I wanted to share with you. This is the Silver Lake Sand Dunes. We actually rented a house that was just a few hundred yards from the dunes. And we're talking hundreds of acres in Michigan where there's dunes that they would take their buggies and dirt bikes and ATVs and all kinds of stuff and just play on them. And we got to live just a few hundred yards from there. Also in the back of our house, there was this kind of private pond stocked with bass and pike. And I got to go fish after work. I'd go fishing. And then if we wanted to walk to the dunes, we could walk to the dunes. It was super nice. But even as nice as it was, I wasn't all that committed to it. I knew it was just temporary. I didn't want to paint anything. I really didn't even want to get curtains or anything like that. It's just temporary. Soon after we lived right by Silver Lake, we then owned our, our first home. And this was a completely different deal. When you own something, just think about renting something. You only have to sign like three papers. Then when you're owning something, you have to sign a, a billion papers, it seems like. They're all over the place just signing and signing. That shows the different level of commitment. When we purchased this home, then I wanted to start painting different things. We're taking walls down. We're putting drywall up in different places. It's a completely different level of commitment. I was thinking about this place being for our future, down the road. I want something that we can grow into as a family. The commitment level is completely different. And this is what I mean when it comes to our relationship with God. Owning our relationship with God is a different level of commitment. This isn't just something that we're talking about, hey, Sunday morning or Thursday night, we went to church, check the box, we're done, now let's go back to what we're doing. Or we read our Bible in the morning, check the box, we did our prayer, check the box, now let's go back to life as it was. That's a different level of commitment. Owning our relationship with God, it changes everything. And let's look back at the passage to see what exactly are we talking about here. What are some ways that we can own our relationship? Back at 6, 1 through 3, these are the commands, decrees, the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. By keeping his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life, 
Hear, O Israel, be careful to obey it so that you may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord your God promised you. What we see here is a different level of commitment. Why? By living according to God's word. We're living by God's word. That's how we own it, by living in God's word. We see this here. It's not just a head knowledge thing. In this passage, we see in verse um, 1, they are to observe the law. In verse 2, they are to keep the law. In verse 3, they are to obey the law. It's a part of like internalizing it. It changes every area of their lives. And not only that, it is to help them. He wanted to give these laws so that they may be successful in the land that they're going to. Moses even tells them this. I want it to go well with you in the land flowing with milk and honey. I want you to have a great success at the next place for you and the generations coming after you. Paul talks about this as well in 2 Timothy 3.16, which says this. All scripture is breathed, uh, God breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, um, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Even Paul is talking about this too, that we have to live by God's word. God's word is to help us, but also it is how we are to change everything through having God's word in our lives. The second way is we are to allow God to lead every area of our life. Allow God to lead every area of your life. We see this in verses four through five. Verse four says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is a huge commitment that is happening. And what he says is, only God, the one true God, the Lord, is the one that is allowed to have this type of commitment. So he talks about how amazing God is. Then he goes from this on to how are we supposed to do this level of commitment? We're to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Right there we see three different times the word all is used. Over and over and over. We say that this is an all-encompassing deal. This isn't just something that's just a one-day thing. But our relationship with God, if we allow him to lead, he needs to lead every area of our lives. So what does this mean? What does this look like? Well, it looks like this. When you get that email on Monday, that you feel like you've answered that question three times already, and you're getting it again, instead of getting frustrated and reaching out or lashing out in that moment, you're driven by Ephesians 4.29 which says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. It means on Tuesday, Tuesday when you get home from work, and your kids, instead of, daddy, daddy's home, no, they, you open the door and they're fighting again. In that moment, instead of getting angry, you're driven by passages like 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind. It means on Wednesday, when you do something kind for someone else, maybe it's a spouse or a coworker, and you do something nice for them, want to help them out, and instead of them saying thank you, they're, they're kind of barking at you and mad at you, and they, they come at you kind of gruffly, and you get mad at them, and it goes back and forth. Instead of having that, you're thinking through Ephesians 4.32, which is telling us, uh, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. It means on Thursday, the student going to their first job over the summer. They're not going to the job because they want a paycheck or they want mom and dad to get off their back because they're doing something this summer. No, they're driven instead by Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. It means on Friday, when you get that difficult diagnosis from the doctor, 
Or maybe you hear from your boss that there's going to be some changes at work. Instead of allowing worry to take over, we're driven by 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on me because I care for you. It means on Saturday that we go to the soccer game and the ref is missing call after call and that's your kid in the, in the game there and you're just frustrated. In that moment, you're driven by, okay, maybe in that moment you're driven by a mama bear uh, more than the passages of scripture, but you, you get the picture. No, I'm just joking there. Maybe even in that moment, you're driven by Ephesians 4.29. But I love a verse that also kind of gets at this whole idea. 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Even mundane things like eating and drinking, it allow, when we allow God to lead us, he changes everything. And that's what this passage is telling us to do. This is how we own our relationship with God. We live by God's word and allow God to lead every area of our lives. But that's only part of this equation. That's the owning it part. We're also called to share our love of God with others. That's the next part. We're called to share our love of God with others. We see this in verse seven. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You see, he commands first that they're to own it and then to share that love of God everywhere they go. I love how this passage starts out. It, it starts out, we've got to take advantage of owning it, and then we can now share it. And it makes sense. If we really enjoy something, we do want to share it, don't we? Whether it's a cool restaurant that we like to go to, we want to share that with someone else. If we watch the game, and that was an amazing play, we want to share that with someone else. If we enjoy this movie or this TV series, we want to talk about it and share it with someone else. We're not only called to own it, but also share it with others. And sometimes when it comes to owning it, we stay right there. When it comes to the church, we, we get a nice sermon or we get a nice um, Bible study and then we want to have another prayer meeting or so, like, and we just stop with the owning it part, but we're also called to share it and point other people to Christ. We can't just have another group or another Bible study. We also need to share it. This is even what Christ did with his own disciples. For three years, they were with him in ministry. As they finish up ministry, he's about to go. What does he say? All right, go and find another Bible study. Go and find another teacher. Go and stay together, just you 12. No, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to share it. That's the next step you got to take. And that's exactly what Moses is talking about here. Now, I have two questions when it comes to the share it. I want to know who's called to share it. And also, how are we to share it? And this passage actually answers both of those. First, who's called to share it? Well, we see right off the bat, impress them on your children. That's pretty obvious to me that parents are called to share their love of God with uh, their kids. Parents first. Proverbs 22.6 also talks about this. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. We see in Proverbs 22, it's talking about parents. It is your job to train them. And generally, when you train them in the right way, they're going to go where they're supposed to. But parents, it is your job. We see parents, this is your calling. As the middle school guy, I know it is not my primary calling to raise the, the kids. It is the parents' job. And my job is to come alongside the parents. 
It's interesting that on average, the church has about 40 hours a year to impact students, but the average parent has 3,000 hours. It doesn't even really compare. You can see the impact. If I'm the middle school guy, so I get 120 hours in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade on average, mom and dad get 9,000 hours. The impact is huge. So parents, this is your primary calling. As the church, we want to come alongside and help you. No one can have the impact that you can with your own kids. And it's one of those, if you want to have a great impact for the kingdom of God, invest in your kids spiritually. But mom and dad, you're not alone. This passage doesn't just single you out and leave you um, on your own. No, we also see as well in verse 4. Verse 4, Moses gets the people together. And he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In that verse at that moment, that hear, O Israel, we see that he's kind of getting the whole community together. So yes, it's for parents, but also the whole community together is to build into the next generation. It's not just the parents. And to show just how important and how urgent this is, we had um, a few on our staff that just went to a worldview conference where they wanted to encourage students to have a biblical worldview. What do we need to do? And they shared a stat from George Barno, who's a key researcher, and he said this, most Americans die with the same worldview they had at the age 13. Yes, they refine it and define it a little bit more as they get older, but age 13, that's mainly their, their worldview they're going to have for the rest of their lives. So parents, that's why I'm with you. I want, as the youth pastor, I want to come alongside and support you. Let's get after it and show these kids and share this love of God with them. So how do we do this in the family ministry team? Well, this is why we have Jane. Jane loves our little ones, and she wants to make it safe, but also make it a very fun environment as they're learning about God for the first time. And as a parent, having a little one there, you want it to be safe. That's, yes, I want that support as a parent. And so that's why Jane comes alongside our families. This is why we have Pastor Steve and his leaders. They have lots of energy and make it a fun and enjoyable environment. But also, Pastor Steve spends a lot of time connecting with parents and taking different dads or moms out to coffee and, and wanting to help them and come alongside them. This is also why Pastor Ryan and myself, we love to go to games and cheer on the kid, but also that gives us an opportunity to talk to mom and dad and come alongside them because we want to support you. This is also why Stephanie Schaefer is leading one of our biggest ministries here with the school. And this last year, our teachers did a phenomenal job as it went from virtual to in-person, virtual, in-person. It was an incredible job that they did. And why did they do that job? Because they want to partner up with parents and point them to Christ. This is also why we have Michelle encouraging us to let's have outreach for different families. Let's go after families and share the gospel with them. As a church, we want to share the love of Christ with others. This is even why in our family ministry, we have what is called the orange curriculum. That's the curriculum we use. And the idea behind it is this. With orange, you have the red represented with the heart of the family. That's one of the, the parts. And then you also have the yellow represented with the light of the church um, as the other part. And when you put those two together, the red and the yellow, you have orange. And when we, we work together, we have such a great impact. This is also something that Paul talked about in Titus 2 as he encourages this young pastor to build into others so that they can build into those younger than them. This is family ministry the whole way through. 
So let me give you some ways right now that you can be a part of the family ministry and you can serve in this area. In just about a week, we have VBS coming up. So sign up to volunteer. This is a great opportunity for kids ages four through fifth grade to hear the gospel, have some fun games, do some crafts and have snacks. It is just a fun week and you want to be a part of it. Sign up. Also be praying for this week. This is an awesome opportunity for us to share the gospel with kids. Another opportunity this summer is we've got summer camps with Alpine Camp and also Emerge Camp with our middle school through high school. Some great opportunities for camps. So be praying for these camps. You can also donate to the Susan Bosley Fund, which helps go to um, making the costs cheaper for the Emerge Camp and helping send kids there. Another way that you can help out is also this summer, we just started three services. So maybe you want to step up because we need more leaders downstairs on Sundays. So maybe you want to connect with us in a way to serve down there. We also have different things that we have going on in the fall, typically on Wednesday nights. And those ministries on Wednesday nights, we take the summer to really get geared up and ready for what's coming in the fall. So maybe you want to connect with us and see about leading in the fall. I'm going to give you Judy's email. Judy is kind of our guru to help keep us all in the family ministry um, team on task and um, just doing what we're supposed to be doing. She's, a, she's got a huge job to keep us all in line. So email her. See how you can get connected. Say you want to um, help out in some way, shape, or form and get connected with her. And I'll say this too, try different things out. I know for me, I tried out Cubbies, our, our three-year-olds, and I realized that wasn't my favorite place to serve. I love three-year-olds. I love my own three-year-old. But middle school, that's where I really just love hanging out with kids. Three-year-olds, getting beat up by them week after week. That wasn't my favorite thing to do. So I wanted to work with middle school. So try different things out. We want to find the best fit for you. So that is who is called to share. The next question is, how are we called to share our faith? Well, it seems obvious, but I love how this passage is set up. He says, I want you to own it and then share it. So the first thing we need to do is live it out. We need to live it out. Again, if we go back to our, our graphic here with this cycle, we're called to own it. For us to truly own it, we have to be sharing it. And if we're going to be sharing it, first, we've got to own it. It's hard for us to truly share it if you don't really believe it and own it yourself. We know this with kids. If you try to tell your kid, I want you to eat something healthy, but you're not eating anything healthy and you got a big bowl of ice cream, they're not going to listen to you. They're going to think, wait, what? The same as if you um, want them to not bring their, their video games to the table or something like that, and you've got your own phone there, they're, they're going to have a hard time listening to it. You've got to own it first and then share it. So that's the first thing we need to do. Secondly, in this passage, we need to talk about it all the time and everywhere. Talk about it all the time and everywhere. Look at what it says again in verse 7. Talk about it when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. I love this here. This makes it very obvious all the, all the places and everywhere that you should go. When you sit at home and also when you walk along the road, that makes it pretty all-encompassing. Everywhere you go, you need to be talking about it. And then when you lie down and when you get up, that's from going to bed to rising. We need to be talking about this all the time. That's what this passage is telling us. This isn't just a Sunday after church, check the box and we're done. This is an ongoing conversation. I know for our family at different times, we found maybe after school on the way home or as we're driving somewhere, we have some great conversations. 
I know for us, we also at different times like to take our kids on one-on-one times when it's just me and Karis or just me and Judah. And it's crazy how the, the lines of communication open up then. So maybe just focus on one kid and take some special time with them. Another thing that you can do is celebrate the milestones. When you celebrate the milestones, your kids see how much you care about them. So celebrate that we're a teenager now, you just turned 13. You finished kindergarten now, you just finished that. What an awesome thing. You just finished school, that's awesome. You, you just got your driver's license after trying it for 10 times, but you just got your driver's license. Celebrate the milestones. It shows you care about them and it opens up those lines of communication. Because we need to be talking about it all the time and everywhere. Moses continues in verse 9, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now we don't practice this today. Some practice this literally. Um, and they would have actually little boxes called flak trees that were on their foreheads and on their wrists. But the idea here is this, that it's always before them. Whether it's in your house or even on your person, it's always before them. God's word and his commands are always before them. It again gets at this idea that we are to talk about it all the time and everywhere. And if that wasn't clear enough, we also see in this passage, it starts with impress them on your children. That word impress them is a really unique word when it comes to teaching them. Another way you could translate it is teach them diligently. It comes from actually a Hebrew word that means to sharpen or to do something repeatedly. And when you sharpen a knife, what do you do? You take it against another piece of metal and repeatedly knock off those rough edges. Again, we're to talk about it all the time and everywhere, over and over and over. God wants us to own it, and God also wants us to share it with other people. What I didn't share about this message is Moses shares this this urgent command right as he's getting ready to finish up his ministry. He's standing on the mountain and he sees in front of him the, the promised land coming up next. And where they're all going to enjoy it. And actually in in chapter 3 of Deuteronomy, we see that Joshua is the one that's going to lead them there. Moses isn't. He sees what they get to enjoy. And he's realizing his ministry is coming to an end. That's why he sees the urgency of this message. That's why he says you have to go all in. You have to own your relationship with Christ. And you also must share your love of Christ with other people. This isn't an option. As you get ready to go, I want you to be successful there. But you have to do this. You can see the urgency knowing that this is coming to the end for Moses. This last month has been a whirlwind month for my family. This is a picture coming up here of my parents and my brothers. And the idea of urgency has really been something on my mind this past month. My, my dad called me at the beginning of May. And he said, Josh, I need you to pray for your brother. This was just out of the blue. I, I, what's going on? Well, my dad shared with me that his fingers started, uh, my brother's fingers, and this is my brother Justin here that I'm talking about, his fingers started um, to get numb. And then also his toes started to get numb. And that was on a Tuesday. He went to the doctor a couple times, went to a couple hospitals, and they were having no, um, no help really to get him some answers. So he continues to see what's going on. Um, and, and things actually kind of got worse and worse. And I got called on Saturday, and my dad said, he's having even a hard time now raising his hands up. And he can't really walk well without any help. 
And I started to, to think through, what, what is going on here? Out of the blue, like, he's a healthy guy. On Monday, he was playing disc golf. Well, as things progressed, the following Monday, after playing disc golf one Monday, the following Monday, he was put on a ventilator. And this is one of those that no one can prepare you to see your brother on a ventilator. I'm sorry. He's 33 years old, healthy. What's going on? Well, the doctors, as they continue to, to, to do tests, they believe what he has is called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is an illness where the body attacks a disease, but then kind of goes into hyperdrive and kind of starts attacking the rest of the body. And right now, his nervous system is being attacked. And slowly, with Guillain-Barre, those that suffer with this slowly can start to recover. The doctors have been telling us it's probably going to be months if not longer, for him to recover from this. And this is just out of the blue. This is one of those that, I, I, this is kind of took our whole family by shock. I'm thinking through, when are we going to hang out this summer? When are we going to go play disc golf together? What are we going to do for family vacation? And things have changed completely. One verse that has been going in my head over and over and over with all of this is Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So who knows if you're going to get to live a full life like Moses or if you're going to be thrown a curveball like my brother. We have no idea. What is important to see is this, is we must, we must, we must see that we are called to own our faith and to share our love of God with others. There's no questions about that. That is what we are called to do. The time is urgent. This command is urgent. We have to go after it. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for just the passion of Moses as he wants to get this to the people, that they have to own their faith and also share it with others. I pray that you help us to see different areas that we can step up our faith and truly own it. God, help us to feel how urgent this message is and how important this, um, this calling is to go after it. I pray that you also lead us to make a greater effort to share faith with others. God, it is amazing how you've loved different generations and worked through different generations. And I pray that you help us to care for the next generation as well. In your name I pray, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media.